God, help us uh, to be uh, quiet uh, within. Create a space for us uh, to be attentive to you. Help us in that regard in your grace. I pray that uh, you would cause each of us to want to be uh, fertile and receptive soil to receive not what we expect, not necessarily what we want, but that which you would have us uh, experience and learn and hear and know and become. I pray that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate in any way from your word, may they be quickly and forever forgotten. Amen. So uh, now into the book of Acts, uh, the Bible is made up of the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know that at the beginning of the New Testament are four books that tell the story of Jesus about kind of his life and ministry. We call those gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four of them. And right after John comes a book called Acts or its long full name is the Acts of the Apostle. It is of the apostles. It is volume two you may know of the Gospel of Luke, so written also by Luke, uh, telling the story of the first days and weeks and months and even years of the early church. So that's where we're picking up uh, the scriptures this morning. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. Uh, this is along the way in one of Paul's three or four missionary journeys, and he's gone from home base uh, over in sort of the area of Jerusalem, Antioch, uh, now traveling up through Greece and interacting with people who are uh, different than him and not necessarily Jewish thinking people, uh, really Gentiles. So listen closely, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them, and the them were some of his traveling companions, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he's made it to Greece, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. So he reasoned, in the synagogue, interesting the word reason is uh, dialogamai in Greek, which comes from the root word is uh, logos, uh, from which we, uh, is often translated to say in Greek, uh, but it also has the idea among the Greeks of reasoning. So uh, of reason, of reasoning. So that's how that gets translated, reasoned. So he reasoned or dialogued or conversed, talked with and listened to. So he reasoned in the synagogue with Jews and God-fearing Greeks. He always started in synagogues, uh, as, was, as well as in the marketplace, which is just kind of the open area, any open area, uh, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate him. Wouldn't it be fun just sort of like you're going to Safeway and then it's like, oh, you get to hang out with some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers and just chill in front of Safeway and talk about big ideas. So different context, we don't really have that. No one stops in front of Safeway for anything, even for the people who are asking for change on the way in. You know that, right? Just keep going in our world. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with Paul. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Clearly, he was a foreigner. Others remarked, he seemed to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news or the gospel about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took Paul and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. And it feels like from the sort of from the narrative that they've sort of grabbed him, apprehended him, because so many people are against Paul and his missionary journeys. But this isn't a violent or really even an against Paul's will, will sort of taking him. It's like, hey, bro, you've got some good ideas. That's really interesting. There's a place that we really gather to talk about big ideas. We call it the Areopagus. Come on and go with us. Okay, so it's almost voluntary, but they're inviting Paul. Then they, took him, uh, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, now may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. 
You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious or very spiritual. For as I walk around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant, and I just went ahead and left, that's the NIV translation, ignorant. And ignorant has such a disparaging, disparaging tone in English. We call people ignorant or stupid or things like that. Hopefully we don't, but people do. Uh, but in Greek, it simply means not knowing. Just, there's no disparaging uh, connotations, just not knowing. So you are ignorant or not knowing of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm gonna proclaim to you. Sort of, you have these ideas without specificity. Let me tell you about the specifics. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else, starting very generally, right? This is universal truth. From uh, one man, he, he made all the nations that they may inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's actually not far from us. And then Paul quotes one of their own philosophers, a guy named Epimenides. For in him, we live and move and have our being. In that great God, we live and move and have our being. And then Paul quotes another of their philosophers, as some of your own poets have said, we are this great God's offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance or such not knowing. All right, such not knowing. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And you remember the word repent means to think differently, have a change of mind, turn around, uh, reimagine, reconsider. All of those things. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to change their minds, to think differently, to reimagine. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising this man, this person from the dead, Jesus. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we wanna hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council, or the Areopagus, some of, the people who be, some of the people became followers of Paul and presumably also of Jesus and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, an actual formal member of the council, and also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. And the reader understands that in ancient Egypt, people regularly and openly talked about gods, about their beliefs, about philosophy, about all sorts of ideas and especially at the Areopagus, this open public forum where one could go to discuss anything and everything, from the history or the power of gods or idols to the meaning of history, the meaning of life, the meaning of the world, all of these things were fair game. But we don't really think about it. We don't really have such a public space in our world, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our culture, forums like that now. 
There, there are still what are called by missiologists third places, places like uh, our workplace, our schools, the gym, the country club, the skate park. We don't really have places like the Areopagus, though. Instead, we have the internet and chat rooms and social media. About, uh, and those are our, the best that we can do for most of our third spaces. But actually, and I read something interesting, a uh, scientific study this week that uh, talks about how uh, social media, how online and digital communication is phenomenally inferior to good old-fashioned face-to-face communication. And this shouldn't surprise us because when we see someone, when you remember our kids during uh, COVID did uh, asynchronous learning, something happens here and then there's a gap, then there's communication. And then something happens here, and then there's a gap or a time lapse for communication, asynchronous. Studies show that synchronous education instead of asynchronous is far more effective, far more fruitful. Similarly, face-to-face communication. And when you can see a person's expression, so much of what we communicate verbally is actually visual and auditory that email, we know, don't we, that email doesn't carry tone very well. Anyone made that mistake? Yeah. So uh, we don't have an ideal space for in-depth and personal conversation or consideration, uh, except when we get to be together. In the same space, speaking and listening, listening and speaking in live time, face to face. And that's what we hope to provide through the seven weeks of Explore God's spaces, forum, space, for conversation, for exploration, for consideration of these seven big questions. Does life have a purpose? Does life have a purpose? Is there a God? I think those are gonna go up on the screen. Yeah, there they are. Is there a God? Why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? Is Jesus really God? Is the Bible reliable? Can I know God personally? Can I know God personally? And these are questions that really matter, and these are questions that many of us, maybe most of maybe all of us, in different ways at various times over the course of our life have thought about and maybe delved deeply into. I don't know your story. I don't know uh, your history. But many of us, maybe most of us, have not only thought about some of these, but probably wrestled with them ourselves at different times in our journey uh, of faith. But it's not just us, there are people, these are some of the questions that consciously or less consciously move in and out of the minds of people in our communities. If you think about them, if you ask them, so are the people who live around you, who work around you. Even those who are not Christians, those who are not in Christ, those who are not seeking to follow Jesus, but who are still seeking, who are curious, who do wonder and wonder and who are spiritual, even if not outwardly religious, and for whom the bigger questions, the universal questions, the particular questions, really are really important at one level or another. And so we're committing seven weeks to giving focused attention to these seven questions because at some point many people who are not a part of the church have these questions and these sorts of questions about reality, about the reality in which they live, about whether or not there is a God and what it's like to relate to that God, what that God thinks, who that God is. Because we care about people, because we seek to love all people unconditionally, 
Our desire is to honor people's questions, to honor those questions, to not dismiss them and to not denigrate them, but to honor people's questions and their uncertainties and even their doubts by creating space for their questions and for dialogue and discussion without judgment. Our version of exploration, which was happening in the Areopagus every day from morning till dark. I grew up in a church, and I, I don't know about you or what your story is. They're very certainly. But I grew up in a church and a church culture where comprehensive certainty was admired. And it still is in many corners of the church, among many Christians, comprehensive certainty, without a doubt, was admired and lifted up and praised and highly respected. And there is nothing wrong with certainty. There's nothing wrong with certainty. If one is right, on every point, in every time, always. But who has been right about everything, always, every time? Here. Go ahead, raise your hand. None. I ran across the following thought this week by someone uh, who I think often says things that are thought-provoking. He wrote, the longer I'm a pastor, the more I believe that the road to heresy doesn't begin with questioning God, the road to heresy begins with being unquestionably certain that no one knows God better than you do and with believing that everyone else is a heretic but you. Should I read that again? The longer I'm a pastor, the more I believe that the road to heresy doesn't begin with questioning God. The road to heresy begins with being unquestionably certain that no one knows God better than you do and with uh, believing that everyone else but you is a heretic. Doubt or questioning may seem to us to be the opposite of faith, but instead, doubt might actually be the proof of faith. Doubt may not be the opposite of faith, but it might just be proof of faith. Alistair McGrath, he's a prolific uh, Northern Irish theologian, Anglican priest, intellectual historian, scientist, Christian apologist, public scholar, all of those things rolled into one neat man. Maybe you've heard of him. He wrote this. Doubt is actually natural within faith. It comes because of our human weakness and frailty. Unbelief is this decision to live your life as if there is no God. It is a deliberate decision to reject Jesus Christ and all that he stands for. But doubt, in contrast to unbelief, but doubt is something quite different. Doubt arises within the context of faith. It is a wistful longing to be sure of the things in which we trust. But it is not and need not be a problem. In fact, uh, the Scottish evangelist and biologist Henry Drummond, maybe you've read some of his short old books. Henry Drummond wrote, Christ never failed to distinguish between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Doubt is honesty. Unbelief is obstinacy. Doubt is looking for light. Unbelief is content with darkness. So we want to honor doubt among us, even as we're called to faith and acknowledge and not judge the world's doubt 
or curiosity. We want to create space through Explore God for people to wrestle with the big questions and to discuss them, to process them, to get them outside of themselves in a safe and open environment. So we read in Acts 17 that Paul found one of those environments in Athens and he jumped right into, well, he was kind of invited into it, but he embraced that opportunity. He listened to some of the locals as they spoke about their faith, about their beliefs, about what they thought was true and had value, about their gods and philosophers, about what and how they described the divine and how they described reality. And then he shared, notice even quoting, starting point for him seems to be quoting their philosophers and the commonalities that they had between the one true God. And then he went on to tell them about the God who made himself known uniquely in Jesus Christ. Yes, uh, some people sneered at him. They called him babbler uh, over the course of the seven weeks of uh, Explore God or as you invite people, your friends, neighbors, coworkers, boss, employees, whoever. Some people may sneer at you. That's okay. Some people may subtly laugh, take a breath. Uh, someone might call you babbler if you talk on and on. That's okay. Uh, you can handle it. We can handle it. God has called us to something more important. And so uh, Luke tells us that on Paul's journey uh, through uh, the part of Asia Minor and what's now Turkey and all the way around to Greece, finally he comes to this uh, place. It's sort of in some ways the pinnacle of his journey. And there uh, people for the first time heard of the Jesus and heard of resurrection. And Luke tells us as Luke's traveling with Paul and observing, oh, look at Dionysus. He's actually a pretty prominent guy here. And Damaris. And there are a bunch of others who came to faith because Paul respected their questions and their environment, and he explored with them and shared with them his experience of truth. This morning, uh, during the few minutes that we have left, uh, a couple of uh, guys, men from the congregation, are, come up, are gonna come up and share some of their experience with some of those questions. So uh, Ram Racy and Julian Park are gonna join me up here for a minute. So Aram and Julian just agreed to talk a little bit about uh, this whole topic in their lives. Uh, quick introduction real first, real first, real quick first. <laughs> okay. Uh, hi, uh, my name is Aram, and uh, I think I've uh, met many of you. Um, my wife, Sarah, and I have been coming to Waypoint for about a year now. And uh, we've been in San Mateo for about five years. Before that, we were in Boston for school and work for a long time. And... Uh, before that, I grew up in uh, Southern California, and, um, and uh, yeah, I didn't really, I guess we'll get more into it, but I didn't really grow up in a faith background, so uh, that really came to me in, in uh, my time in the East Coast. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Hi, I'm Julian. Uh, my wife, Rachel, and I have been coming to Waypoint for about a year now. Um, I've been coming to this church for about two, three years um, since I lived in Foster City back then, but... Now I'm an SF. Great. So uh, we, we've talked a little bit. I, um, the question, the seven questions are up there. Which of the seven questions from that screen were a part of your uh, sort of pre-deeply engaged faith? 
uh, were a part of your questioning, your reality that you uh, were consciously curious about? Uh, maybe all of them, uh, but which, which ones maybe stood out as questions that you really consciously thought about and wrestled with early on in your uh, coming to some kind of faith? Um, yeah, I would say definitely all seven of those questions are really important. Um, but at the initial time point, um, I would definitely say one and two. Uh, so that's, does life have a purpose? Is there a God? Uh, were really important at the beginning. Um, and then, actually, I would say I kind of, the next step, I kind of jumped to seven and five. Uh, can I know God personally, and is Jesus really that God? Uh, and, um, yeah, I think, I think those, were, those were really instrumental. In, I think all of them are fundamental, but those were really the, the, the first set. And then the next ones are questions that I think I have continually tried to refine um, over my, uh, my, my growth and, and being part of a community and being part of a church. Mm. Yeah. The other ones, you mean the one, in addition to the ones you named? Uh, well, the other, yeah. So uh, uh, why does God allow pain and suffering? Is Christianity too narrow? And is the Bible reliable or, or continually? Um, I wouldn't say, you know, like active questions, but definitely part of, like of after that initial coming to faith mm -hmm. of continual things that I've, uh, I've been helped to understand by going to church and reading Christian authors and things like that. Julian, what about you? Yeah, I think the first one really resonated with me kind of um, growing up because I, you know, I grew up in a family that went to church on Sundays, but that didn't mean much for my own personal faith journey. You know, if anything, that could have been an obstacle for me to like really examine what my foundations and beliefs were. So does life have a, a purpose like that, that really um, um, kicked in in like college? Prepare, you know, finally I have some independence. I can now decide to go to church or not on Sundays and whether I'm part of a community and I, you know, worship God. So um, that, that, that first question I think really um, triggered me to like think about um, God mm. and the church. So that happened for you during college. Does life have a purpose? What's this all about? What am I doing here? You want to say any more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think um, it, like in, in today's culture and society, uh, Christianity kind of seems like an opt-in uh, belief system, but that's so influenced by like all the constructs and all the you know, assumptions that we have from secular beliefs. So I kind of wanted to approach it from uh, multiple angles and kind of assess like, which theories have come up in the past thousands of years that, you know, kind of speak to life's purpose. And I think um, the, the Christian uh, faith kind of spoke to my heart the most. Mm. Um, uh, you started to talk about how you began to explore what exploration of those questions looked like for you. Can you say any more, anything more about that? Yeah. Um... So similar to Julian, I really started asking, I really started asking these questions uh, in college as well. So like I mentioned, I didn't really grow up in a faith household. Um, so, I mean, I, my mom was an Armenian immigrant from Iran. So in the Armenian culture, Christianity is definitely ingrained in it. But we didn't go to church on Sundays. We didn't read from scripture. We, we didn't talk about God or anything like that. So when I was finally on my own, uh, in college, I, uh, I actually had, 
I started thinking about these things as I started to think about what do I want to do with my life? What sort of person do I want to become? And I had a, uh, a friend who was going to services on Sunday intermittently, and uh, it was Lent. And uh, I think she was very knowledgeable. She knew I was Armenian. She knew maybe I was Christian. So she was like, hey, do you want to come to Lenten services with me? And I, I had to be like, yeah, okay, I know what Lent is. Yeah, let's go. So, <laughs> Did you know what Lent was? I, I barely knew what it okay. was, but you, I, you know, I didn't Easter, know. purple, that's about it. Yeah, okay. you're supposed to give something up. Okay. That, was, that was about all I knew. Fish, something or other, yeah, something, I don't know. Yeah, that's pretty much, okay. <laughs> that's pretty much what I knew. Um, so I remember going, and the, uh, the sermon came up, and the priest gave, I think, what was a very simple but very effective sermon, uh, which said, essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but essentially, like, um, you know, especially now in college, we know that life is very distracting and you're getting pulled in a lot of different directions. But if you can just make a little room on your plate for God, allow time to reflect on him and uh, his stillness and quietness will, will guide you. And so that really spoke to me and it started to, uh, well, I started to go every Sunday and uh, it started to just kind of grow from there. Mm. And then those questions one and two then started to both come up more concretely and then also be answered a little more wow. by going. I don't know if you heard, Aram, uh, it sounds oversimplification, but this exploration part of your life or season began with an invitation. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, same, same question. Uh, how did you wrestle with some of those questions or what, was, what were some of the me mechanisms or uh, did, was that, did that happen alone just in your soul by yourself or, or what was helpful for you in fleshing it, those out? Yeah, so I think I, I hit my spiritual low uh, during COVID because I lived alone in my apartment and you know, I, I sometimes went months without talking to a human in person. And so it was like, it was pretty bad. And I think it, I really felt alone. Um, but thankfully I visited my sister um, briefly back then in 2020 and then she kind of invited me to read uh, Tim Keller's books, uh, Making Sense of God, and kind of revisit some of those assumptions I had about life and, and the world. Um, and I think I uh, just realized that I had a lot of assumptions that weren't checked. Um, and that, that really helped me get back on the faith journey um, and like um, understand God and Jesus a bit more. And one, one analogy that really helped me on the, on the is there a God question was this, uh, I think C.S. Lewis said like an analogy around Hamlet and his relationship with Shakespeare. Um, because it's, Hamlet can't find Shakespeare in his world and universe, but you know, kind of like how when people ask, today, oh, do you see God or you know, do you experience God? And therefore, you know, you probably don't see him. But that, that kind of structure kind of helped me understand the, questions. Mm, that's awesome. Uh, a lot of Tim Keller, a little C.S. Lewis, conversations with your sister. Good stuff. Is there one of those seven questions that you uh, find most uh, frequently in the top of your mind or in your heart that you're uh, asking yourself, wondering about even still today? Hmm. Cheat sheet. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a good question. Yeah, I, I would say I would say it's, it's not necessarily one I, I actively wrestle with, but I would say the most important for me over time has become, is Jesus really God? Because so much 
of everything about my faith comes from that and is connected to that, um, both knowing God personally, understanding who he is, um, the, the love and grace and connection to God really come, really for me, came with understanding and reading about and feeling connected to Jesus. So um, I would say that wasn't the first question I started with, but it was the most important question uh, in my faith journey and I think continues to be the point that I am always strengthened by and referring to and thinking about in the context of everything. Awesome. Thanks. Julian, same question. Is there one, <laughs> yeah. is there one question among I, those seven that is uh, at the forefront of your mind today or that sort of keeps popping up or that's most important to you right now? I think um, the why does God allow pain and suffering is important because there's so much pain and suffering in the world and every time you turn on the news, there's something that's, you know, that, that makes you sad and one thing that I thought about to kind of internalize this and you know, read up on is how um, my perception of pain and suffering when I was a kid is very different from what I know now. Because when I think about, oh, you know, I couldn't get that thing I wanted as a kid or, you know, I, that bad thing happened to me. I'm, you know, I was so sad and I was so mad. But looking back, I sometimes think, oh, you know, I kind of needed that. Yeah, I learned a lot from that. And, like, that taught me a bit about, you know, humility or, you know, all sorts of things. So... But that's coming from my, my human brain, but imagine what God hasn't planned for, for everyone, right? Like, it's just not fathomable. So I think, you know, it's not an easy question because there's so much, like, actual pain and suffering in day-to-day -day life, but um, that's something that I think with. Great, great. Well, thanks for uh, spending a few minutes just sharing with uh, us. Um, I think we all probably have varying uh, degrees of questions, some of these questions, maybe other questions. Uh, so I just wanna encourage you, let's be a congregation where it's okay uh, to ask questions, uh, to express uncertainty. And even as we're moving toward deeper and deeper faith in the Lord, uh, to which he calls us for his glory, for our joy, uh, let's make space in our lives, in your home, in the congregation, in small groups, explore groups, wherever, for the people out there and some in here to really uh, dig deeper into things that matter. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, the place to which you took Paul uh, 2,000 years ago and for opportunities for him to uh, listen and be and dialogue and converse and uh, eventually share uh, the good news of your son Jesus and about his resurrection and about the power and the love that was exhibited and exerted in that. Uh, we all have varying degrees of questions, God, that uh, in different ways are uh, still being asked within us. We ask that you would help us with that, and we also ask that you would uh, make us into people, into a community, into a body, into a uh, congregation that helps uh, our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our families to create space for their questions, that we might honor them, honor their questions, and walk with them uh, through uncertainty and doubts, hopefully uh, toward the foot of your throne, uh, the Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.